0: And welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast, Week 16, Waiver Wire Edition. We got a few more things on tap, as always, but, you know, it's what we call the show normally. So, I'm your host, Ian Hardison. joining me on this lovely Tuesday afternoon. By lovely, I mean, it is cold in the Midwest, but we got a great all-around baller here. PFF's finest, Nate, the great Yankee. Nate, what's up, man?
1: Hey, doing well. Luckily, it's still at least like 40-ish degrees in Cincinnati right now, but... Once it gets to this weekend, it's not going to be that nice.
0: We both live in Cincinnati, Nate. I've been a lifelong Ohio guy, usually more so in Columbus. I truly feel like Cincinnati. I mean, if Kentucky just wants Cincinnati, that's fine. It's the South down here, man. I was in Chicago this weekend, freezing my absolute ass off at the tailgate. I mean, it's like single digits over there. I still feel like, you know, not complete winter mode yet here in Cincy, but it is complete winter mode across some of these NFL games we got going on Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Thursday, once high school is gone and college and bowl season, the NFL takes over the world even more than usual. So congratulations if you're listening to this. There's probably a decent chance that you are still alive in your fantasy playoffs. Or maybe you're the lucky someone who had that first round bye and just got to laugh as your friends tilted their ever-living faces off last week. Or maybe you're just a sicko that still enjoys listening to us. And either way, we appreciate you guys tuning in. Last point here before we get going to my Week 15 Sheesh Report. Nate, I sent out a tweet last night after uh, you know the game finished up. Just like, hey, please send me your just worst fantasy loss possible and I promised to Venmo someone a dollar by just you know subjectively determining which one was worse the winner lost on the in Aaron Rodgers kneel down which I was thinking Ooh. the other day would be like the absolute worst way to lose and I do think that ends up uh, taking the cake but what cracked me up was this other person submitting their league and he said they had 50 banned players and I was like well what are you banning like bad people which hey if you want to do that go ahead but 50 seemed like a lot so I asked him basically it's a no stud fantasy league, Nate. Have you ever heard of something like this? They basically oh. took the top 10, top six, you know, players, depending on position, removed them out of the player pool, def league only. Is that the most, that's the most sicko fantasy league I've ever heard of?
1: Yeah, that sounds like fun
0: sometimes you get these leagues the points per carry and the wonky scoring rules i'm not really about that because then it just becomes that much harder to even figure out who's good and bad in the league but a no stud fancy league that is something that true fancy sickos can get behind so hats off to those people all right guys but again before we get to some weather and week 16 analysis want to quickly go through the things that made us cry back in week 15 the sheesh report better ball touchdowns guys that got down the one yard line all that and much more so starting off i mean, literally. I don't know how it can go with anything else, but the sheeshiest team of the week has to be the New England Patriots. You guys saw Jacoby Myers' ill fated heave to Mac Jones on the final play of the game. But honestly, man, even without that, I still think they would have taken the cake because they probably had the single worst sheesh quints I've seen the entire season. Earlier in the first half, like they shouldn't have even been in that position because, first, Mac Jones targets Jacoby Myers in the end zone ends up getting a DPI down the two yard line next play Ramondre Stevenson stuffed at the one yard line next play wide open John who Smith Mac Jones airmails it next play Mac Jones does throw a touchdown on Jacoby Myers too bad they call a timeout just before the snap I'm telling you guys no one seemed to hear that whistle they were playing at full speed the play just didn't count and then finally on fourth and goal they go for it Mac Jones QB sneak he scores not so fast my friend John U. Smith maybe just maybe getting a revenge for that previous misfire didn't even line up in time for the snap so it was a false start and thus no touchdown the sheesh player of the week however has to go to vikings cornerback chandon sullivan i mean sunday and monday i guess were just such madness that we kind of forgot about just how ridiculous that colts vikings game was sullivan had not one but two scoop and score touchdowns that both times man i have no idea what the rest were thinking first michael pittman sure seemed to lose possession of the football they decided to say his forward progress had not stopped i disagree but the next one, I don't even know what the hell was going on because Zach Moss clearly loses a fumble and they just blew the play dead as Sullivan is running back the other way. So, yes, the Vikings did get possession of the football, but because they ruled the play dead, they did not get the score. Specific sheesh play of the week for fantasy purposes, more than anything. Again, we already named the Patriots here. Let's gotta go to Bill's running back, Devin Singletary, the latest to take a page out of the Brian Westbrook Todd Gurley school of falling down inside the five-yard line to save your real-life team and secure that victory, but screw over all the fantasy managers that trusted you. So that was unfortunate, and I just wish these players, Nate, would put the fantasy managers ahead of their real-life teams. For once, I kid, I kid. Every time I tweet this stuff out, people just don't understand I'm kidding and start yelling at me, but it is what it is. Uh way too cool. Not be a touchdown award goes to Justin Fields. I mean, that 49-yard run, objectively, not being a prisoner of the moment, I truly think was one of the best runs we've ever seen from a quarterback at the NFL level. Unfortunately, stepped out of bounds just barely at that nine-yard line. Dave Montgomery manager is certainly happy that happened because he scored on the next play. Three touchdowns that got overturned by penalties. Jamal Williams had an 11-yard touchdown rush, rightfully called back by a hold, also had a pick sheesh. This one was not so rightful. San Francisco 49ers cornerback Diamandore Lenore took a short Geno Smith pass all the way back, but we got our weekly egregious roughing the passer call this time on Nick Bosa. The most egregious one of these, though, has to go to Brian Robinson. If you lost because Brian Robinson couldn't quite get you enough points, that sucks because he had a one-yard touchdown at the end of that Sunday night game, but they said Terry McLaurin wasn't on the line of scrimmage like this is such a ticky-tack call that had nothing to do with the play and after we even see Terry McLaurin look at the ref ask if he's on the line get acknowledged even move up a couple inches give him a thumbs up you know Terry McLaurin again confirmed all this after the game just an egregious mishap by that crew on Sunday night three official drop touchdowns Jamar Chase had a 24-yard score hit him in the chest and then fall to the turf definitely there was a missed defensive pass interference or even holding call on that play Makeup call on the next one but still was a drop that hit him in the chest Trent Sherfield also dropped a three-yard touchdown Stephon Diggs dropped a four-yard touchdown then I would also just say that Texans tight end Jordan Akins from 18 yards out Evan Ingram from 10 yards out Michael Gallup from six yards out and Tyree Kill from three yards out had targets that weren't officially ruled drops but my My personal subjective opinion, I do think they probably could have come down with it. Pass catchers who could have scored with a more accurate pass. Jamal Agnew from 14 yards out. Jamison Williams from 45 yards out. Man, I know he's not getting the usage and we're probably not going to be recommending him as a start, but he got wide open, maybe with the help of a little bit of a push off from 45 yards out. Pressure caused Goff to badly underthrow it. Jalen Waddle could have had another long house call, but Tua underthrew him. Stefan Diggs got all kinds of separation deep after Xavier Howard fell down, but Josh Allen sailed that. And one of the more egregious ones that I caught at the end, actually, after reviewing some stuff on Monday, Nate, Curtis Samuel on the first play of that final drive, I mean, he ended up catching a 27 yard pass. But if Heineke had just laid that ball out there reasonably in the middle of the field, we're talking about like a 60 plus yard touchdown because he was that open to begin with because the flat defender didn't initially carry the wheel. And the deep safety, once you look at all 22, was covering the post in the middle. So, damn it, Heineke, just a little bit more accurate. Could have been a much easier stretch at the end there. And finally, last night, Tutu Atwell theoretically could have had an 81-yard touchdown. Baker Mayfield underthrew it, though, and we had to settle for a 40-yard pass interference penalty top leaders in unrealized air yards, the guys who had all sorts of opportunity but just couldn't come down with it. Mac Hollins with 126 unrealized air yards. Damian Brown with 93. Nelson Aguilar, 84. Braxton Burrios, 83. Also had Devontae Adams, TJ Hawkinson, Robbie Anderson, AJ Brown, and Garrett Wilson, over 70. And finally... This is the longest list of the season that we have had guys get downed at the one-yard line and then not score a touchdown on the same drive. First of all, Cowboys quarterback Dak Prescott and Zach Wilson. rushing got down at the one, but then they threw a touchdown. So not the worst, you know, finish to that. But then the following players were unfortunately downed at the one and did not score. Taylor Heineke. Derrick Henry. Derrick Henry, man, they let an injured Ryan Tannehill sneak that ball across and that's someone that advanced to my home league finals by three points against the Derrick Henry team. I am so happy they made that choice, but that made no sense to me in the moment. Also, Ramondre Stevenson, Tony Pollard, Dalvin Cook, Najee Harris, Leonard Fournette, Michael Carter, Miles Sanders, Kenneth Gamewell, Zach Moss, Justin Jackson, Ashton Doolin and Aaron Jones all got stopped at the one yard line and were not able to score. That Jones one, particularly Shishi because it came basically and secured the Packers a victory there on that fourth down. And then they were able to kneel the ball out instead of punching it across. So with that, everyone, now that we can again get those final tiers out from week 15, we're going to move on to week 16. So, Nate, the first thing I think we really need to keep mind of is this. People were worried about the weather in Buffalo last Saturday night. Get ready for a whole week of that concern because there are a ton of games just negative temperatures potentially, and it's going to be a bit windy. So right now, for, before we do anything, Nate, how do you approach weather in your normal fa- normal fantasy football process? From everything I've studied and heard over the years, cold isn't great, pre- pre- precipitation isn't great. We can live with those, though. It's the wind that we really want to worry about.
1: It's the wind, and also I get concerned once it starts snowing out. So if it's raining, I'm not too worried. If it starts snowing, that's when I start getting more concerned.
0: And we do have games going to be dealing with just that. Saints are in Cleveland. This one is looking like 26 mile per hour wins. And accordingly, we have a 31 point game total that I believe would go down as the lowest ever. Or at least, you know, in the recorded stretch of a tweet I saw. Obviously, Andy Dalton and Deshaun Watson not helping matters. Also have the Bills facing the Bears in Chicago. Only 18 mile per hour wins. I shouldn't say only. I mean, 20 miles per hour is usually that threshold. And they are right there. So that's not good. But we have a blizzard warning in Chicago on Friday. Friday. So. We'll see what happens. Similar to in Buffalo, guys, like let's not completely freak out when we see these pregame pictures five hours before the game of there being snow everywhere because they have a tarp on the field. And you guys saw that Bills game. I mean, there wasn't even accumulated snow on the field until maybe the fourth quarter in that one. So those are the two games where it's not only going to have some precipitation, it's not only going to be cold, but they have that extreme wind. So specifically there with Bills, Bears, Nate, is there enough there for you to move down Josh Allen and Justin Fields? Because at this point, man, we have these two quarterbacks. You probably couldn't pick two better guys to play through the conditions, considering the arm strength and more importantly, considering the rushing volume that both guys have on a new every week basis.
1: Oh, uh, yeah. With both of these games, like I'm moving everyone down a little bit, but you're still starting Josh Allen. You're still yeah. starting Justin Fields. It gets down to like uh, Gabriel Davis and Cole Komet, who are generally borderline players that you might start leaning, sitting them rather than starting them
0: honestly I would say brutal weather like this is more important than like a on paper bad matchup but I still think that it's more of a tiebreaker than something to completely upend your you know roster with some of the st- I'm sure you were getting the same thing Nate some of the mm-hmm. start sick questions on Saturday you know Tyree Hill for like a wide receiver three should Jalen Waddle be in there like yes I'm I'm not a complete slate to the start your studs mindset there are exceptions especially when you're talking about multiple studs so tiebreaker that's fine but it's Josh Allen and Justin Fields. Once again, two guys that we've seen run more than well enough to keep it going. I mean, Fields himself, man, eight straight games with at least 60 rushing yards. That's the longest streak in the NFL. Josh Allen is 10th in the NFL in rushing touchdowns since entering the league. Just true fantasy cheat codes. Uh, Other cool note from ESPN's finest, Field Yates here. He actually posted some estimates for the field-like temperature at kickoff for some of these outdoor games on Saturday. So, Bills at Bears, negative 11 degrees Fahrenheit of course here in America Seahawks at the Chiefs is going to be negative six Saints at Browns negative nine Texans at Titans just five degree kind of wild to see Nashville get that cold Falcons at the Ravens seven degrees and Raiders at the Steelers negative four degrees so in those games Nate again the winds are relatively okay I don't believe the precipitation is going to be out of control but again we're only looking at this on Tuesday so again Chiefs Brown, not Browns, Chiefs, Titans, Ravens, and Steelers games. Are you overly downgrading anyone because of the weather?
1: Uh, Probably not too much. Like, I'll keep an eye on the weather, see if things get worse. But at this point of the week, it's just something to keep an eye on more so than make any decisions off of it. As
0: always, on the Friday Injury Pod I do with Nick Botterford, we'll have updated forecasts, and we like to lean on Roto-Grinders' finest, Kevin Roth, for some of his excellent weather research. So make sure you guys stay tuned for that for an updated weather scene at the end of the week. All right, guys, we're going to mix things up just a little bit in terms of our usual waiver wire breakdown. I know some leagues don't even have the waiver wire at this point, and honestly, at the end of the day, you're in your fancy semis or maybe even you know one of those older leagues with the championship this week. Probably already got your guys. So more so, we're going to look through the injuries first, and then some of the corresponding factors whom guys who are going to be elevated on the waiver wire. So, at quarterback, man, it is a laundry list. Most notable, as we found out yesterday, Jalen Hurts with a sprained throwing shoulder. Now, we've gotten some conflicting reports. Some are estimating he could be out two weeks. Some are saying, and specifically uh, Eagles head coach, Eagles head coach Nick Sirianni, saying that Hurts could actually be able to play this week because his body is different than ours. Maybe he heals faster. I will say, Nate, I am not expecting Hurts to be under center, mostly because that line changed on Monday by from one and a half to five and a half points. That is huge, and it seems to indicate that people, apparently more important than the public, are getting information that makes it seem more likely that Gardner Minshew is going to be under center. That said, Nate, one of the studies I've been doing, more so to show what Justin Herbert's been dealing with. I was taking every team's PFF, rushing, receiving, pass blocking, run blocking grades to see like the best supporting cast, the best offensive environment. And yeah, Herbert going to last week, dead ass last, which helped prove my point there. But the number one team in all of that are the Philadelphia Eagles I mean this offense from top to bottom is absolutely loaded what are your expectations for Gardner Minshew stepping into this offense against a good Cowboys defense that said no weather issues at Jerry World luckily and we have seen this Cowboys defense be a bit less formidable here in recent weeks
1: I'm guessing I'll have him right around quarterback 16 I think with the supporting cast last year he was able to start the for the Eagles twice and was and then quarterback 10 and quarterback 18 in those two starts. So he's probably right around an average quarterback. Um, in general, if you're in a league and you had Hurts, uh, Daniel Jones is available. He's the top guy, but he's taken in over 50% of leagues. Uh, Jared Goff's my next guy, but he's similar, available in 50 to 60% of leagues. And then after that, Minshew's the next best player. So, And most leagues, if you had Hurts, Minshew's the guy that I'm looking to pick up.
0: This is amazing, Nate. We have a show sheet before. i like to be prepared for all you guys, but I mean, I just have the injuries here. I have my quarterback rankings in another tab, and I have it QB 14, Daniel Jones, QB 15, Jared Goff, and QB 16, Gardner Minshew. So we are on the exact same page, my friend, and very similar sentiment with Gardner Minshew. I mean, he's been someone that has been an average NFL quarterback. So I believe when you take an average quarterback, put him in, again, anyone's idea of an elite offensive environment, we could see some good things come out of this. You also noted in your weekly waiver wire column that uh Gardner Minshew like Jalen Hurts has a top 10 scramble rate so I don't think we're gonna confuse Minshew for Hurts you know once they're in the open field but he is someone that could at least chip in you know an extra 20 or so yards I mean Minshew when he was with the Jaguars much better fantasy quarterback than real life which is all we are worried about at this point yeah surely pay attention Daniel Jones, Jared Goff, Gardner Minshew. I appreciate you tuning in. But, yes, that is the order we are going with there. I was surprised to see. And, I mean, I know they've been well documented. I mean, Jared Goff's outside splits are awfully brutal. But that weather in Carolina not expecting to be bad in that offense, really with everyone healthy, has been humming. So we are happy with that. Okay, Lamar Jackson with this knee injury. Has missed these last two games. It's not a guarantee that he's going to be back this week. John Harbaugh refused to say just about anything. We did get a report from NFL Network's Ian Rappaport, though, saying that the hope, Nate, is that he's going to be available for this Week 16 showdown they got coming up against the Falcons on Saturday afternoon. So the matchup isn't anything to worry about. Lamar Jackson, and here's the thing. It's very easy to look at this offense with Tyler Huntley and say, oh my God, like, look what happens when you take away Lamar Jackson. And I get it. Lamar is a much better quarterback than Tyler Huntley. I really hope nobody has ever thought otherwise haven't watched these guys that said, Nate, I mean, since week four, we've only seen Lamar crack the top 10 one freaking time as a fantasy quarterback. So yes, Lamar's back. Yes. You're probably not going to have a better option to start. I still struggle to rank him, you know, higher than QB nine there on the week. So I'm guessing they don't have better options than Lamar Jackson. He still is a top 10 guy, but any thoughts on Lamar hopefully being back by Saturday?
1: Yeah, like hopefully he's back. You're probably starting him unless you have a much better option. I think in my mind, this more so affects the other players in the offense. If Jackson is back, should help the offense in general, should allow them to run the ball more often. That's good news for J.K. Dobbins and potentially good news for Gus Edwards as well if you're in a deeper league
0: also have Colt McCoy in the concussion protocol. Cliff Kingsbury, the ever-helpful injury aficionado, called him day-to-day. This is one of those things where we talked about it last week uh, on, I believe, the solo pod I did, where with Colt McCoy, I mean, he hasn't been good this year, but he's also run really freaking low in terms of the defenses he's had to face, and especially some of them coming off the bench. I mean, it was like earlier season Rams, the 49ers, the Patriots, and last week, the Broncos. So he's been banged up throughout this stretch. Finally gets a bit more feasible matchup against the against the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers albeit that's not exactly a cakewalk as well so Nate my bigger concern with Colt McCoy I have him like if he's playing this week he's my QB 23 so I don't think people are going to be going out of their way to get him in there but as much as we maybe haven't seen that big of a drop off from Kyler to Colt McCoy in terms of the skill position players still managing to put up fancy points I mean you can honestly argue that Colt McCoy is not better for the overall upside, but we've talked about on this podcast, how having a rushing quarterback like Kyler can take away checkdowns for running backs and they factor more into the equation on the goal line. So I think Colt McCoy from Kyler, you know, I dropped the guys maybe down a couple spots, but if we go from Colt McCoy, to Trace McSorley, that's when things can really get rough because McSorley has the rushing tendencies of someone like Kyler, but he has a passing ability that is so far below both guys that it could be problematic for guys like DeAndre Hopkins, Marquise. Brown and maybe even James Conner. So Nate, if Colt McCoy is out, how far do you see yourself dropping guys like DeAndre Hopkins and Marquise Brown down the ranks?
1: Uh, Marquise Brown, I think would become a player. That's only a borderline starter. Really. It'll depend on all these other weather games, how much you're dropping other wide receivers. If Marquise Brown remains a starter or not Uh Hopkins drop him down, but I'm still starting him because he's DeAndre Hopkins and James Conner. I won't be too concerned about just because He's run in stacked boxes before. He'll still be able to run the ball a ton in that game. So still more or less trusting Connor.
0: Yeah, DeAndre Hopkins this year. I mean, I know we were all kind of wondering what he was going to be like coming back without whatever PEDs happen to be in his body, you know, in an offense that wasn't exactly thriving over the first six, seven weeks of the year. PPR finishes, though, as the wide receiver, eight. To 21, 12, 12, 15, 23, and most recently, 32. If wide receiver 32 is your floor, that is not too shabby. We will take it, especially here in Week 16. Also have Russell Wilson dealing with a concussion. This one's a little more interesting, Nate, because he technically did clear the protocol last week, but they still went ahead and went with Brett Ripien. I'm not sure if that was them being cautious or them just kind of re- realizing that this is more or less a lost season at this point. Not more or less. I mean, come on. They're 4-10. and 10. This, The Broncos are dead in the waters at this point in the year that said I almost treat this one closer to Kyler to Colt McCoy. Yes, I'll take Russell Wilson over Brett Rippian for you know trying to win a game for the future. But I think we can agree that we didn't necessarily nosedive all these fantasy assets purely because of that quarterback change. Thoughts on Russell Wilson if he does get back under center for this one, Nate? Because he is someone where he gets the Chiefs in Week 17. Do you think we could maybe see Russ play a little bit better ball, at least from a fantasy perspective, should he get back under center?
1: Yeah, I think it's definitely possible. He's someone that I'm worth considering picking up, particularly for next week with that matchup against Kansas City. Um, I'm not changing too much how I view the other receivers or running backs with it. I think last week was also just a case of, oh, you have one guy who practiced with the starters all week, so have the guy who practiced with the starters play with the starters. So I think I'm pretty much trusting that Wilson will be the starter these next couple weeks and. Um, probably not starting him this week, but definitely happy w- with starting Judy, happy with more or less having Latavia Murray <laughs> just because how much he runs the ball. But with how many injuries they've had at wide receiver this season, like it's hard not to trust them when they're the only options on the field, Jerry and Greg Dulcich at tight end. They keep on going further and further down the depth chart, Freddie Swain. Joined the team this past week off of a practice (laughs) squad and instantly became their wide receiver three over the game. So that's just, there's no one left to throw to.
0: Not a given that Sutton's going to be sidelined again, but Kendall Hinton's also got a hamstring injury. Hamler is on the IR. My god, Tim Patrick, unfortunately, wasn't able to play a snap all season, of course. So, yes, we can live with fantasy assets on terrible offenses when they are being as featured as these guys just continue to, I guess, you know, monitor those injuries elsewhere on the offense. We also have Kenny Pickett did not play last week, but we got some news shortly before we started recording that he has been cleared for the protocol. Fifth best schedule here over the next two weeks, Nate, in terms of fantasy points per game allowed to opposing QBs. It is going to be cold on Saturday night against the Raiders. I do appreciate the NFL giving us Raiders Steelers on Christmas Eve evening, you know, so we can just more or less ignore that one. But in this spot, Nate, it's obviously a winnable enough matchup against the Raiders. And again, week 17 isn't too shabby as well. So thoughts on Kenny Pickett, who hasn't thrived as a fantasy and especially not as a real-life quarterback, but we have seen slight signs of him at least running the ball enough to maybe spike here when it matters most.
1: Yeah, I think if you're in like a deeper league where plenty of teams have a backup quarterback and you lost uh, Jalen or uh, Hertz, and you try to get Minshew, I would say put in a waiver claim as well here because if you can't get Minshew, then Pickett's probably one of the next best options. I think him and Zach Wilson are the ones that are like readily available in over 90% of leagues at those three are probably the top three guys so even if you have a quarterback on your team I'm probably putting in a claim for Minshew just so someone who is trying to get him isn't able to get him but um, that's why I think Pickett's someone at least worth considering with the matchup and he has some rushing production and he still has the good players around him.
0: In terms of the guys mostly uh, available, and we talked already about Daniel Jones and then Jared Goff, if those guys are available, they are going to be our top two recommended quarterback streamers for this week. After them, I have Minshew, then Brock Purdy, then Zach Wilson, and then Kenny Pickett. So I really think there are better options out there than going to Pickett. Speaking of Brock Purdy, though, still only rostered in 22.6% of ESPN leagues. He's thrown for at least two touchdowns in all three of his extended appearances this season. That said, not really running the ball. This still is a run-first offense. He's only finished better than the week's QB 15 on one occasion. Still, though, you know, it's not going to be a bad weather game, obviously playing from San Francisco. Not the easiest matchup against the Washington Commanders defense, but I'm not completely terrified of considering all the talent in that offense. So thoughts on Brock Purdy. He is expecting to be a bit healthier after dealing with those oblique and rib injuries last week.
1: Um, Yeah, I think I'm fine with him. I probably have him right around the same spot you do. He's just taken in a few more leaks and some of these other quarterbacks that aren't quite as good. So I think just with how well he's been playing in their system and the, he has so many good players around him that that leads to fantasy production. So not going to be the happiest starting him, but there's definitely worse options out
0: there. Got a quick uh, question from our guy, Aaron, about the DST recommendations. So in terms of the matchups, in terms of those offenses that have produced the best games for their opposing defensive special teams, the top remaining defenses for these next few weeks, the chargers, the lions, the Browns, the dolphins, the Jaguars, the chiefs and the giants. So out of that group, man. I mean, the Chargers just getting these two layup matchups back-to-back, so it'd be a lot cooler if Joey Bosa could get back in action and Derwin James, so that's the only problem there. As much as their matchup might be great, you know, matchups, again, more of a tiebreaker. I'd rather not be playing a terrible defense if I can help it, so the Lions are someone that with Aiden Hutchinson ascending, we have seen him playing a little bit better ball. They get the Panthers and then the Bears. I'd say they're probably, you know, one of my favorite ones that are going to be available in more leagues than not. I know the scoring defense number not good at all but still a, you know still obviously a team that we have seen ascend and especially in the run game be a little bit better the Browns and Dolphins to me fall more so in that Chargers category Jaguars have been you know not not overly good as well Chiefs are at least op- op- opportunistic so I'd say Lions Chiefs to a lesser extent the Giants because they don't have as much of a layup until week 17 have you put any thought into the defenses uh yet this week Nate
1: Oh Yeah, the Chargers are the one that in one of my leagues stashed them. I think both of my leagues uh, stashed them last week because I knew the matchups were so good. And I know matchups for skill positions are a tiebreaker. But when I'm looking at defenses, I take matchups a bit more into account than I do for the offensive players.
0: I will make sure to uh get my you know handy dandy conditionally formatted, just those matchup charts showing you guys the best and worst matchups here over the next two weeks. Uh, posted on Twitter either today or tomorrow. Always catch your boy over at iHardits. All right, a couple more quarterback ones. Ryan Tannehill with the ankle reportedly could be out of this one. I did not see, I think it was uh Tom Pelissero from NFL Network noted that he faces an uphill battle to suit up Sunday against the Texans theoretically Malik Willis would be a quarterback that we can get behind as a much better fantasy quarterback than real life. But we have not seen that they are terrified of letting this man drop back to pass. I mean, he got to start against this Texans defense back in week eight when they were honestly, I think playing worse than they even are at this point in the year. And guess what? He was only has to throw the ball 10 total times. He only had five carries in the next game. He only had eight carries for 40 yards against the chiefs. So Malik Willis, Nate, again, I get it. We saw the preseason highlights. You can go back and look at his Liberty Highlight film. The guy is an athlete. But, hey, we need some sort of passing floor here. That's the thing. We love the dual-threat quarterbacks, but you can't be a, we, we can't be a, a complete zero throwing the football. If Tannehill is rolled out, Nate, is Malik going to be someone that's even going to be cracking your top 20? I would right now think no.
1: No, and I'm not even sure Tannehill would crack my top 20 if he was playing. They're just going to hand the ball off to Derrick Henry every single play. He had 30 carries last time they played. He's destroyed Houston over and over and over. He's played well in December. It's all adding up to Henry getting the ball repeatedly throughout this game
0: last four games against the Texans 219 rushing yards, two touchdowns 250 rushing yards, two touchdowns 212 rushing yards, two touchdowns and 211 rushing yards, three touchdowns four straight games with over 200 rushing yards and multiple touchdowns on the ground against the same defense absolute madness. Final note here is that Mike White going to need at least another week to get back there with that ribs injury and honestly man, I thought Zach Wilson last week put forward his best game of the season actually showing some highs to go along with the lows that we all know are there. But guess what, guys? You look at the top of the leaderboard in interceptions and turnover-worthy plays, you can see a lot of good quarterbacks up there as well. So the problem with Wilson was all those boneheaded mistakes, and we weren't getting any of the upside. But five big-time throws last week. That was tied with Josh Allen. I mean, in his previous seven or eight starts, wherever he had, he only had three big-time throws combined. And big-time throws, like turnover-worthy plays, they aren't even looking at the result necessarily. You can have a big-time throw that ends up being a drop or an incomplete pass still, but it was still an awesome throw. Truly was a good performance from Zach Wilson. So at a minimum, he will be under center Thursday night against the Jaguars. And as you noted in your waiver wire column, Nate, he has thrown for over 300 yards and multiple touchdowns two of his last four starts and the two he didn't against the Patriots and Bills two obviously pretty tough defenses to go up against so Zach Wilson not someone that I'm personally looking to play ahead of guys like Minshew ahead of guys like Daniel Jones and Jared Goff but I still did rank him Nate QB 18 ahead of guys dealing with some rougher weather like Derek Carr Kenny Pickett uh, even Deshaun Watson how high are you willing to rank Zach Wilson this week
1: Oh, that's probably around where I will have him to somewhere in that quarterback 16 to 18 range. So he's basically my backup option. If I'm trying to get Minshew, and can't get Minshew, then that's where I pivot. Uh, A couple RB injuries to
0: break down. Jonathan Taylor, unfortunately, sent to the IR with the ankle. Hey, guys, guess what? We were on Christian McCaffrey over Jonathan Taylor back in August, too. Let's not victory lap injuries, though. That's a bad look. We want all these guys to be healthy the entire season. That said, we saw Zach Moss dominate usage last week, Nate. Nate but Jordan Wilkins also wasn't on the active roster. I feel like the Zach Moss thing is a trap. We saw this with Deion Jackson earlier this year. Had a fantastic game when Jonathan Taylor got hurt, and he was the basically next man up. Only him and Philip Lindsay. Next week, once we started getting comfortable with Deion Jackson, they elevate Jordan Wilkins and it became much more of an even committee. How high are you willing to rank Zach Moss? I do not see him crack in my top 30.
1: I think he'll just be in my top 30. I think it's a case where... Um, When we saw Deion Jackson playing well, part of him doing so well was the passing game as well, where Zach Moss is basically just a rushing running back, and he ran the ball over 20 times in that game. So I can see Wilkins taking some time in the passing game, but I don't see that affecting Moss too much. Probably my biggest concern is uh, last week what we saw was Moss and Jackson kind of rotating every two or three plays for the first half of the game, and then it was really the second half where we saw – Zach Moss start to dominate things, so it could just be they saw Moss have the hot hand, and they'll go straight back to Deion Jackson and Moss rotating. So that's probably my biggest concern. But I do think Moss has a pretty high ceiling. If they do view him as a clear runner, and he could have fifteen to twenty carries in the game. And to be fair, I
0: mean they traded Nine Hines for him. At least he was part of the deal, and he was on the active roster last week when Jordan Wilkins wasn't. So that's a good point, Nate. I do think okay. Hey hand up. I think I was wrong there saying wouldn't be my top 30, especially after seeing these matchups. I mean, the Joey Bosa-less Chargers run defense has been absolutely abysmal all season long. They're home against the Chargers on Monday night, and then in Week 17, they get the Giants' league worst defense in rushing yards before contact allowed per carry. So, okay, Zach Moss actually looking more like a volume-based RB3 here ahead of this matchup. Don't be afraid to go to the well with, apparently, the new RB1 for Indy. Also in Atlanta, we have Caleb Huntley, done for the season with an Achilles injury, I understand. None of you would ever dream about playing Caleb Huntley in and of himself. That said, Nate, last week, Avery Williams, their RB4, was active, but even after Huntley was out, it really did devolve into more of a straight-up two running back committee with Tyler Algier and Cordero Patterson. I listed the numbers on the Sunday Night Pod about just how evenly these guys have been used ever since CPAC came back from injury and how it pains me, Nate, to not be able to complain about it because Tyler Algier has been awfully good in his own right. So, If, I mean, not if, Huntley is sidelined. We're looking at the Falcons this week with a not so good matchup in Baltimore against that tough run D. Cordero Patterson, Tyler Algier, solid enough RB3s. Probably not people we're going to be forcing into the lineup, but still we could do worse with 15 carries. Thoughts on them this week.
1: Uh, yeah, I think they'll continue to just see that same volume, um, average five ish yards per carry. The problem is, he doesn't see any rushing pro- or receiving production. And ideally, he scores a touchdown or two to definitely help his fantasy value. But uh, he just has a fairly decent floor. But th- we saw a ceiling this week. He hasn't reached those high of heights that many weeks. So a um, few missing Jonathan Taylor then I definitely consider him. But outside of that, it's just worth mentioning because he's playing really well. And yeah, he might not help your fantasy team these next two weeks, but it's at least worth remembering his name.
0: Would it note that the uh, Desmond Ritter experience was pretty, pretty, pretty rough. Now is his NFL debut. I get it, but going to Baltimore isn't going to be any easier. And Vegas certainly agrees with that notion. 15-point team implied total. That is the second lowest mark on the week, only ahead of the New Orleans Saints, who are once again dealing with all sorts of wind in Cleveland. A.J. Dillon with a concussion. Or I'm not sure if it was actually confirmed, but he was getting checked for it on Monday night. Obviously, will be a quick turnaround with the Packers playing on Saturday, I'm assuming. Okay, no, they are one of the Sunday games. So, yeah. Maybe that does work out for A.J. Dillon being able to get back out there. We've seen them start to lean more on Dillon as it's gotten colder, which makes sense, Nate. I sure as hell wouldn't want to step in front of that guy in snowy and cold Lambeau Field. And to Dillon's credit, you know, he has been making the most out of those opportunities. So I guess if Dillon is ruled out, do you think this becomes the full-on Aaron Jones show? Or is Patrick Taylor someone that fantasy managers should be maybe maybe stashing ahead of time?
1: I think it's mostly the Aaron Jones show. Patrick Taylor, I think he's fine to stash just because Jones has been also dealing with injuries recently. So stash him just in case Jones re aggravates something and then Patrick Taylor becomes the guy. But as long as Jones is healthy, he's probably going to see 70 to 80% of the snaps. Taylor will still see some snaps, probably get five to 10 carries, but not someone that's worth starting unless something also happens to Jones.
0: Zonovan Knight not listening on the injury report after dealing with that ankle issue last week, which is great news. It seemed like the initial reports were kind of saying he could be you know, facing something close to a questionable tag, but with their uh, Monday estimated practice, he is not even on there. So that is great news for Zonovan. Yes, last week sucked, but we talked about it with the Detroit Lions really playing their best ball of the season on defense, particularly against a run. He gets a Jaguars defense this year. That has been far less formidable. Happy to go with Zonovan Knight again as a low-end RB2, Nate. I've had him ranked you know pretty similar to guys like Isaiah Pacheco maybe a few spots behind someone like Ezekiel Elliott where no I don't have the highest expectations for the Jets offensive scoring upside but you can do worse than a running back that's probably going to see 15 to 20 touches and more game scripts than not
1: oh yeah I think I'm just fine starting him the how they've been using their running backs recently has been pretty great for Knight Uh, he's been seeing the vast majority of early down work and short yardage work so that's something that you really like to see in a two-back committee. So um, there's a very small chance with James Robinson potentially having a revenge game that they might let (laughs) him play a little bit. But outside of that, I'm fine with Knight. I think there's
0: something going on with his uh, part of the trade deal was like James Robinson's playing time. So I don't know that he's look. on knight has been awesome. I do think he like legit beat out James Robinson, but I do think they're probably looking at it and going do we really need to be playing this guy when we can get the better trade capital if we don't. So maybe just maybe 2023 and beyond James Robinson truthers can be rejoicing again. Next up we have Khalil Herbert potentially coming off the IR with the hip injury. He will return to practice this week. So Dave Montgomery without Herbert we've still seen some Darrington Evans in there and before that Tristan Ebner so it wasn't a complete James Conner you know 95% snap workhorse roll but still plenty for Montgomery to keep on keeping on as a worst an RB2 but more times than not a legit RB1 last four fantasy finishes for Montgomery RB6 21 12 and most recently six after that two touchdown performance so with Montgomery in there, he's a volume-based RB2 in an offense that we know is going to have to run the ball more than ever ahead of, again, this you know snowy little Saturday that we got going on in Chicago. Somebody call Shady McCoy, please. But, Nate, if we see Khalil Herbert turn, uh, return to action, how confident would you be in still firing up Montgomery with the fantasy season on the line?
1: I'm still starting him in that case. I think he'll still see plenty of work. He was still uh, running the ball and catching the ball plenty when Herbert was healthy, I could see them very well easing him in even if he is ready to play. So I don't think Herbert will see quite as many snaps as he was seeing before the injury. Um, there's a chance that week 17 we might see more of a balance between the two, but Even at Herbert's best this year, Montgomery was still playing every snap on the first two drives and then rotating in throughout the rest of the game. So still trusting Montgomery, especially with the weather and the need to run the ball, particularly in that weather.
0: It's a good point. I mean, Herbert was playing really well throughout this year. I know a lot of people were hoping that he could just leap Montgomery on the depth chart, but hey, I think the Bears have two good running backs, similar to what's going on in Dallas and the Bears coaches. Clearly, we're still trusting Montgomery, even with a healthy Herbert. If you look at his touches, and those games with Herbert and the Montgomery also being healthy. I mean, he had 20, 17, 16, 16, 15, 18, 15, and a lowly count of 10. So those were his games with Herbert. Without Herbert, he said 20, 17, 18, 15. So yeah, a little bit of an increase, but again, maybe not quite as much as you might have thought otherwise. Another running back injury, I believe. Actually, no, that's it. All right, wide receiver, nothing too much crazy going on. Corey Davis limited with a concussion. Denzel Mims not expected to play. Where are you going to settle, you think, Nate, with Garrett Wilson here? Garrett, I mean, Corey Davis coming back has been uh, Zach Wilson's seemingly favorite target in the brief time they have been together. That said, Garrett Obviously a freaking baller. I mean, it's crazy that last week, four catches, 98 yards, and even that felt like a disappointment. So thoughts on what Corey Davis coming back to the lineup means for Garrett Wilson and Zach Wilson.
1: Um, I think they'll be able to throw the ball to both wide receivers. Like Corey Davis, if you're in a very deep league and looking for someone kind of off the wall, I think Corey Davis can have a good game because Zach Wilson does seem to like throwing to that position at wide receiver. We saw Jeff Smith do well last week <laughs> as the third wide receiver on that depth chart before they had to turn to Brexton Berrios because they will play anyone at outside wide receiver before they turn back to Elijah Moore at the outside. Hey, so, shut up. Yeah, sorry. But yeah, I think i trust trusting Garrett Wilson in this matchup regardless of who's playing at the other outside wide receiver spot. As,
0: uh, as Kevin Cole and I were saying briefly, uh, you know, back when we used to be able to pod together, uh, giving guys flowers after they kind of prove us wrong and all that, which is probably, you know, kind of a dumb thing. But I'm going to go ahead and give Jeff Smith some flowers here. Someone that I've kind of mocked continuing to get, you know, a couple snaps, a couple of routes here per game. Just not, not so much mocking Jeff, but just being annoyed that guys like Elijah Moore and before him, Garrett Wilson earlier in the season couldn't get these full time roles. Jeff Smith made the most of his opportunities last week. He had this drive where he almost accounted for like all 81 yards and a touchdown. He had two big catches and then was open. I don't know how this wasn't a DPI penalty. The I think it was a Marshawn Lattimore. No, it wasn't Marshawn Lattimore. Someone out there was completely pulling, hanging all over Jeff Smith. Zach Wilson actually threw a very catchable ball just off the fingertips and didn't get the superstar call that you would like to see Jeff Smith getting from sometimes. So Jeff Smith, truly a baller, not someone who are going to Trust in fantasy, but kudos to you for proving, uh, you know, idiots like me wrong. Jeff, at tight end, we did have Dallas Goddard activated from IR with that shoulder injury. So, Nate, look, this is a big game. Obviously, Hurts could not be in there. I tend to think Dallas Goddard is going to get his 100%, you know, maybe not 100% snaps, but get his usual full-time role back right here, considering the shoulder injury, considering they didn't play him last week. Am I just too hopeful that Goddard's going to be out there? Do you think he'll be eased in here?
1: Um, I think maybe slightly, but I think that's still at least well over 50% of offensive snaps, which with his talent over 50% of snaps is still better than most every other tight end out there. So I very much starting Goddard this week unless I decided to pick two quarterbacks and have like Dalton Schultz as my other option.
0: It is, you know, maybe a little bit notable. Different injuries, obviously, but last year he did not play in week six. I do not remember why he did not play, but immediately came back the next week to a 93% roll. So hey, before he left, I mean, if we're talking, he literally didn't miss a snap in that final game he played against Washington back in week 10. So Dallas Goddard will be going back to the well with him probably as a top five tight end immediately, man. Even guys like David Njoku uh, is going to have a big problem with that wind up there in Cleveland. So Dallas Scott, we are willing to trust him to a high level. And that covers most of the major injuries. Once again, we we'll back here on Friday with my guy, Nick Botterford, to completely go through uh, the injury reports and every fantasy relevant player there. Last few notes here, Nate. And again, everyone can find your full thoughts on the available waiver wire on PFF.com. We already talked about Zach Moss. We did see Chuba Hubbard have a pretty solid game last week. Was this an actual takeover of the backfield or more so the Panthers playing from behind, just being in a more friendly game? script for Chuba?
1: It's not a full takeover, but he was playing over half of the early snaps. He didn't receive the most carries on the team, so it's not a complete one at this point, but Foreman I think was only averaging one yard per carry. I think it might have dipped under one yard per carry at the very end there, so there's a chance that he could be the every down guy in Carolina just based on the trends that things were going, so Um, Probably not someone that I want in my starting lineup, but he's definitely trending in the right direction. So potentially for the last week of the fantasy season, or at least uh, just make sure the person who had Jonathan Taylor and didn't have a backup plan can't get a decent option. I don't think – yeah, we're
0: not going to want to trust Chuba this week. If anything, I think that performance could help us get off with of Deontay Foreman for this matchup. I've talked about the Lions' defense. Here are the last three games, total run, rushing yards allowed, 95, 22, and just 50. And, I mean, look, the Jaguars have been one of the better running teams all year, so to hold them to 95 is pretty awesome. And Davin Cook and the Vikings, just 22 rushing yards, also quite the performance from Aiden Hutchinson and company. Talked a little about Tyler Algier earlier and him being more – of a middling RB3 with Caleb Huntley out of the equation. Thoughts on Chris Moore from the Houston Texans. Now, not an offense that we're going to be expecting to throw the ball, you know, 40, 50 times out there or anything. But assuming Nico Collins and Brandon Cook stay sidelined, not a given. Again, we'll see what happens throughout the rest of the week. How confident would you be maybe squeezing Chris Moore inside that top 36, top 40 against the Titans defense that we consistently see take away the run and force teams to pass?
1: Um, i would probably be pretty confident in that just because he's seen such a high percentage of the targets in Houston they don't really have much of anyone else to throw to there with the injuries at running back they're not just gonna run the ball whenever they can anymore so I think he's gonna still see plenty of targets and if you see enough targets you're gonna catch the ball and maybe score a touchdown at some point in there so I think more we'll see enough volume to at least consider him.
0: 20 targets over the past few weeks. And again, that was against the Cowboys and Chiefs defenses where a little bit more feasible to run the ball. No Damian Pierce. He is on IR. We would be expecting that to continue. Uh, Nate, we didn't see it. I mean, it was Royce Freeman. It was just a disgusting committee in Houston going up against the Titans. Please stay the hell away from everybody involved. Saturday comeback hero KJ Osborne went the hell off last week. Now, Nate, this was you know the first game pretty much all season that we saw KJ put forward any in his entire career, I should say, put in anything close to those sort of numbers. He still looks like their wide receiver three more weeks than not. And this week at home against the Giants, I do think Dalvin Cook in that run game could have enough success for Kirk Cousins. Probably won't be you know in a 30 point hole at halftime and be forced to put the team on his back like a prime Greg Jennings. So Are you buying KJ Osborne having this late season Ascension or did we just see a random boom that, let's face it, has been surrounded by a lot of busts throughout
1: the season? I think it was probably more of a random boom. He's just someone that I mentioned in the waiver article because there's always those leaks where anyone who does anything good is probably worth a waiver wire pickup. And he definitely had a very good game. And I think he probably more so talked about him for 2023 because he could very well be the Vikings number two wide receiver then so especially like in dynasty leagues this is probably pretty big for him that he had this big game to potentially get that number two role next year but probably not someone I'm starting this week unless I'm in a four or five wide receiver league but um, at least someone worth monitoring to see if he can do this again. I think someone else that's
0: probably going to be more important in 2023 than this week, despite some of the solid games, Rashid Shahid over there for the New Orleans Saints. Now, he's seen his actual like play by play participation uh, go up in five straight weeks and to his credit, three straight games where he's gotten 53 yards, 75 and last week, 95 and a touchdown. It wasn't. A complete fluke touchdown, but that was a pretty terrible duck from Taysom Hill that the safety ended up not really playing well. And Rashid, to his credit, caught the ball and got into the end zone. But I look at these targets, Nate. Last five games. One, two, three, four, and four. I look at the weather. It is absolutely abysmal. If there was ever a game to downgrade these guys, it's looking like Brown Saints. And just, again, with this one, I'm almost wondering if we see more Taysom Hill under center, more running the football, and it's in an offense applied to score a week low, like 14 and a half points. So thoughts on Shaheen, and if uh, you're at all buying into the fact that maybe we do get more of, a, I guess, like the most Taysom Hill we've seen all season.
1: Yeah, like I'm buying into the fact that he's probably a starter at this point and could very well be a starter with the Saints next year. Just the fact that he went from undrafted rookie to this point is pretty remarkable. So about kind of disrespectful to not even mention him, but he's also someone that with the weather and with the offense in general, probably not starting him this week.
0: I remember seeing him get that initial touchdown against the Cardinals, you know, sick double move and actually just breaks free. I was like, who is this guy? Been fun to see him make, you know, again, a lot more out of a year that I'm guessing most people didn't even know who he was entering the season because of his status as an undrafted player. So great stuff there. Uh, we did get another start sick question here a second ago. Uh, David Njoku, Evan Ingram, Dawson Knox, or our guy Chiggy I Eileen Evan Ingram there, Nate. I think it'd be close again if we didn't have this brutal weather in Cleveland.
1: Yeah, Ingram was where my gut initially went. I'll be doing my rankings after this. Like I did my quarterback rankings because I've been receiving so many quarterback questions, but tight end rankings I will have by the end of the day, and then it'll be up tomorrow
0: on pff.com i appreciate a couple of you holding me account i think i got kenneth walker in there last week like around 5 p.m on a thursday or something so ah we'll get to it you know i'm not quite as timely and awesome as nate you guys can always see you know those fantasy pros ranking trophies that my man is racking up each and every year seemingly so yes you can catch all of our rankings on pff.com we'll absolutely make sure that those are updated with all the info from injuries from weather from whatever else we happen to uncover throughout the a week on pff.com pff plus go check out the app it is a damn good time over there nate i think we have completed it man this is a situation where again week 16 almost the last game of the season let's go out and win some freaking championships people why the hell not let the folks know everything you got on pff.com to help them accomplish just that
1: sure so still have my recaps going on after every single game even the ones that happen on saturday and sunday and monday and we'll have plenty more Thursday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. So plenty of games to go around. Uh, the waiver wires that went up yesterday. Also starting to do some DFS content now that some of these waivers aren't going to be as much of a thing anymore. Didn't have the five to, have five to drop piece this week because anyone who you're not starting, you can drop from your fantasy league at this point. So didn't have that article or rest of season rankings don't make sense anymore. So um, I did have the five... Steps to win your fantasy championship go up today so feel free to read that uh, tomorrow will be my rankings the day after that starts it and then just back to games happening and recaps happening
0: yeah, you're not kidding about those drops. I had to, uh, you know, put in the claim to release Kadarius Toney in the home league today. And, you know, you could probably argue that should have been done quite some time ago, but some of us still believe, Nate, maybe just maybe 2023. Uh, in addition to that, I'll have my quarterback, running back, wide receiver, and tight end breakdowns on PFF.com over the next three days. I'm adjusting things just a little bit, trying to more so focus on the most key 10, 12 topics. You know, during the season, yeah, I'll tell you how. Dalvin cook is more of an RB 12 than an RB six because of these reasons. But like, come on, like we kind of know who we're starting at this point. So really trying to drive down, focus on the most important things. And again, you can get that with quarterbacks on Wednesday, as well as running backs and I'll have my wide receiver analysis up there on Thursday. As always, we got the PFF Fantasy football community on Twitter where I personally go in and try to answer as many start sits as I can get to, you know, I know a lot of people have me on notifications, not trying to completely bombard you guys with 50 straight, you know, one word player recommendations here throughout the weekend. So if you do have specific start sick questions again, we'll be live again on Friday at maybe yeah. Well, we actually shoved the injuries in earlier, maybe a little bit earlier than usual on Friday. That'd be cool. So around 4 p.m. on Friday, we'll be live. I will be in the PFF fantasy community Saturday morning trying to answer some start sick questions and potentially, and I'm not going to be there on Christmas. That's going to be one of those days you got to shut the laptop and go hang out with the fam. So, but yeah. You guys know where we are. And again, guess what I do when someone asks me to start a sick question? Nate, I'm sure you're the same way. I go to my rankings. I see who I have ranked higher after doing all this research throughout the week. And I tell you who that is. You can find those as always on pff.com or on the handy Danny PFF app. And with that, for Nate, I'm Ian. Thanks so much for tuning in to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. And until next time, take care, everybody.